Hiring the wrong people for your team can hurt your business. Did you know that the average cost per hire in the United States is around $4,000? It's a process that takes a lot of time, and when someone doesn't match the culture and mission of the organization, you start losing money by the minute. The good news is that there are proven methods that help you get the right candidate on board the first time. In our upcoming masterclass, Don't Just Hire, Hire Right, I'll explain how to conduct an effective behavioral interview. By the end of the masterclass, you'll be able to plan, prepare, and conduct a high-quality interview, ensure the process is consistent, fair, and legal, and hire the right candidate for your company. Save the date, August 23rd, 2023, at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Please find the link to register in the show notes or go to our website, Gerard Training Solutions, for more info on this and more masterclasses. how a person is actually feeling about something. If you don't know a person, you may assume that they are being a little bit more stern or, or maybe they're being, they're not as open towards one of your ideas. But if you get to know who a person is, you can kind of build that, that avatar of who that person is with all their communications and you feel more comfortable about communicating with them. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am thrilled that you are here. Hey, while you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask three favors. Number one, please subscribe to the show. Number two, please share the show with just one other person. And number three, go to my website, gerardtrainingsolutions.com, and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I have Russell Sweep with me. Russell, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I am a content development manager for Goodwill Industries International. I have a team that I oversee. We work on developing new learning strategies, adopting content, uh, populating LMSs, the whole gambit, really. And I'm pretty new to that, to be honest, new to L&D and new to managerial role. So you and I connected because we did a little switcheroo. You jumped on my podcast and now returning the favor. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'm really, really glad you're here. I can talk about L&D and management all day. So (laughs) this is going to be a a fun episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So today's focus is the fact, as you mentioned, that you're hired on as an L&D manager when you're new to the field, and now you're learning to upskill and lead a team in best practices. And so that's what we'll focus on today. So you're new to the field of L&D. What was it like transitioning into my favorite field? (laughs) To be honest, it's fantastic. The transition, I think for any career transition is pretty difficult. You have to learn a lot of new skills and you don't know what you don't know. Previously, I was a professor in Southern California and I learned very quickly that those skills are not one-to-one transferable. I feel like maybe a lot of teachers will fall under that like that that problem where they think that a lot of their skills are going to be adaptable towards L&D, but they learn very quickly that there are very specific things that recruiters are looking for. So for instance, I didn't have a portfolio. I had not really worked with corporate institutions. Those skills of talking that language, understanding that culture, I didn't have that. I was in academia. So trying to learn that and upskill in that was an uphill battle. But 
in doing that, I grew stronger. I understood what recruiters, what companies are looking for. I was able to meet those pain points that they had. And I developed a really amazing community. I feel like that's actually probably one of the best things about this field is everyone is so kind and they're so inviting and they want to help you. They want to encourage your growth. So that's been a really like shining star in this entire journey. Yeah, the LND community rocks. Absolutely. I, I have been a member of local and national L&D communities, and uh, as a result of going to the Association for Talent Development's International Conference in San Diego, let's see, that was May. Holy cow, that, was, that, that went fast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, in May, you know, learning, meeting all these people, and now I'm, I'm part of Andy Storch's Talent Development Think Tank, and I've, I've joined other communities where people just want to build you up. And so, you know, for you personally, I would say, you know, look around, we can talk offline about communities that you might think about joining uh, that yeah. would be useful to you. And then just for, for, for you, the listener, if you're thinking about L&D or if you're new to L&D, there are, it, it is a very community-based group of people that want to help. So, so definitely, you know, look around, get involved, ask questions. There are no dumb questions. So you would find yourself right at home. Definitely. And there's a lot of ways to build connections too. So doing this, what we're doing right now is a great way to get to know another person and to have somewhat of a like, like a mentorship opportunity, because you get to ask the questions that you really want to learn. And you have a little bit of a captive audience in front of you. So you can get those questions answered. I also feel like once you start understanding more about the community and you understand more about the skills that are necessary, there's kind of this, this draw to give back to the community. And there's this recycle that happens. So I lead certain groups on a weekly basis as well and upskilling people and kind of paying it back for the things that I've been given as well. That's a great attitude. The, the whole idea that givers gain and you're going to learn more by teaching something. Hmm. And so, you know, jumping in and getting involved, you know, taking a volunteer position in your local ATD chapter, for example. Yeah. And, and just starting small and working your way up is a fantastic yeah. way to go. So, great. Uh, well, going back to your previous question, though, about the transition itself, mm -hmm. like how difficult it was, I was kind of at a crossroads because I was wondering, should I get a degree? Should I go into a boot camp? What should I do? Coming out of academia, I was a little sick of paying for school that had kind of been my life for a while. So I decided to just absorb all the free resources I could. I realized that a big limitation was that I didn't really speak corporate ease. So I read every book I could. I mean, Michael Watkins has a great one, The First 90 Days. If you want to figure out like how a company leads, look at Simon Sinek's Start With Why. I mean, all of these books are really great for introducing you towards what that environment is going to look like, what that culture is going to look like, and really absorb everything you can in that. Try to talk the talk and walk the walk when you're around people like that. Yeah, there's, there's so many resources. And, and The First 90 Days is a fantastic book. I recommend it in all my management classes mm. for new managers. You know, just how are you going to set up your, your plan for the first three months in your role? So good stuff for sure. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you read deeply. Yeah. Aside from those two books, The First 90, di 90 Days and Start With Why, anything else you would recommend to somebody new to L&D or just new to a field? Yeah, absolutely. Figure out how you best learn. So for me, very visual. I like to go on YouTube. If I'm looking something up, I, I want to follow along with something, pause the video, do it myself, tinker a little bit. When you're learning authoring tools, this is great. There's a lot of 
examples that are on there where you can just follow along with someone and build build a project along with them. Uh, there's a lot of community-based resources. We talked about them previously, but those are going to be your best resources. You know, no one, no person accomplishes great things alone. So if you can have other people to kind of lean on and learn from, that's going to be your best resource. And you never know who those people know as well. Oftentimes that six degrees of separation can really lead you to meet some pretty amazing people down the line. I have totally experienced that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a funny story. When I was I was introduced to a woman named Lena by a mutual friend of ours, and she was a potential client. And, and we stayed in touch for over a year. And couldn't put a deal together, but stayed in touch. And then it turns out we were both at the ATD convention and we bumped into each other once. And I thought, oh, that's serendipitous. Like, that's really fun. I bumped into her probably six times during the conference, <laughs> just randomly. Oh, hey, there you are. And every time I ran into her, she would introduce me to somebody else. Oh, wow. Every time. And it's just like, holy cow, this person's a super connector. So, you know, just putting yourself out there and, you know, going with your strengths. For Lena, it's being a super connector and, and being mm -hmm. very, very encouraging. For me, it's bringing on people who are new to a field. And so, you know, jump in and, and go with what brings you. If you've got a strength, use that strength uh, to build your community. And you can also use that strength for building your own skills too mm -hmm. and kind of leverage what you previously know into your new field. So, for example, uh, I was a professor of psychology for six years. I spent a lot of time researching how the brain works, how people learn, and I was able to bring that to my current field. Also, if you're good at emotional intelligence, if you're good at communicating, if you understand how to manage like a project, those are all skills that are very adoptable in this field. And you can most likely reach for something that you are competent in and leverage that into what you're doing. So in meeting you and going to conferences, I was able to attend several conferences as a member of the press because I like to do, I like to film, I like to record things, I like to edit things together. And they're all like, hey, come on board, film some stuff for us and let's see what happens. So use the skills that you have and leverage that for your current career. It doesn't have to be kind of start from scratch, reinvent the wheel, try, try and reach in and, and draw from the skills that you already have. Yep. Like uh, like my old, old friend George Simon says, go with what brung you. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I've got a few more questions for you. So let's move on to the next one. What's it like trying to manage a team when you don't have deep domain expertise? Yeah, it's um, it, it can be challenging, especially at the beginning, because I feel like most people who come into a position, they already have these heuristics that worked for them in the past. They have things, a playbook that they've already used. And oftentimes, you got to learn to just stop and listen when you first come into a role. And that can be a very challenging thing if you want to make waves, if you want to you know, show your worth at the beginning. You, a lot of times when you come into a new role, you want to prove your worth. You want to build up small victories. But slowing down, listening, absorbing the culture around you, even just having informal talks with your staff members or peers. I, I talked with a friend of mine, Tom McDowell, who says, uh, build social capital. And I think that's so important in the idea that whenever you talk with someone, whenever you build a connection with someone, you're putting a deposit into that, that social bank. So if at any point you need to ask them for help, you can withdraw that or they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I spent some time with Russell. I spent some time with Eric. I understand who that person is, what they're doing. And like, I'm more likely to jump on and help them. 
Yeah, I use the analogy of the the social bank all the time and making deposits all the time. And I try to make deposits as often as I can. I'm sure I could be better at it. I know I withdraw a lot. So, you know, <laughs> definitely trying to remember to, to, to deposit and, and help people out and elevate people is, is super important. All right. So building relationships with a team as kind of a human being first would be your, your first advice. Is I that right? So. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's difficult. I'm a very task oriented individual. So like, I want to get the project done. I want to show the the final product. Uh, but the problem is when you're first coming in, like you, you need to slow down and you need to listen and you need to communicate with people because when you, if you come in with an agenda, everyone's going to be a little rigid. You got to see where you fit in as well. And uh, if you were previously in that team, that might mean understanding what the new relationship is and trying to distinguish that within the group. If you're new to the team, it's going to mean understanding what the company stands for. What is their why? And how can you adopt that in a lot of the stuff that you work on? So for instance, when I came on to one, when I came onto this team, one of the things that we were talking about was populating the LMS with a lot of new trainings from a third-party content library. And everyone was really excited because they had just gotten this LMS. They wanted to, you know, fill it with all this stuff. And I was all like, hold on, like, let's slow down. We don't want to fill it with all trash trainings. Like people, we don't want to just muck it up, right? Well, I kind of stepped on my toes there because when I said trash trainings, people didn't know who I was. They didn't know what my definition is. Uh, I, I could have been attacking them for what they liked. It was one of those moments where I had to step back and I was like, oh, crap, like I, I made a blunder here. I need to apologize. I need to talk with people because I don't want them to think that I'm coming in and I'm the only one who knows what's right. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone understands what has worked for them. And having a team is all about listening collaboratively towards everyone's ideas and working on the best solution. Absolutely. I love the idea of, of listening collaboratively and including everyone. That's, that's really important. So. Marvelous. Yeah, yeah. I'm pro- I'm never going to call it trash trainings again. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oops. I you know, and, and one of the reasons why I have this job, one of the reasons why I formed my company is because I had been badly managed by new managers who had been promoted without any training. Mm. And then, you know, I, I was grumbling about that and didn't like that. And then I got promoted and then I did everything wrong and, you know, stuck my foot in my mouth daily. And, you know, I've I've just decided, you know, like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to have anybody else suffer through that. So I'm going to make it my life's work. So, you know, trash trainings is is the watchword (laughs) for that. Like, don't do that. Understanding kind of your own motivation too, I think is incredibly important. And I feel like that's where a lot of new managers can really benefit from assessments, understanding who you are. You know, you and I have talked about like Clifton strengths or DISC assessments and really understanding where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, how you can benefit from that, how you can understand how to communicate with other people. These are incredibly important because the assessments by themselves, they're objective. Oftentimes, if you ask people like, hey, can you tell me like, am I a good communicator? <laughs> like, you're already leading the witness, right? <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's kind of like, hey, if you take an assessment, it's going to be objective, you're going to look at the numbers, you're going to see if you answered it correctly, or if you answered it truthfully, you'll be able to get a better representation of who you are. And that is incredibly useful, because it can be a good chance for you to really reflect and, and to stop and think of 
what you can work on in order to better yourself, how to be intentional on your growth. Yeah. I, I, I love DISC. I love Clif- Clifton Strengths. I love any opportunity for folks to get feedback. And one piece of advice I was given by a manager once is, you know, there, there is such a thing as too much feedback. So, mm-hmm. so be choosy about, about the, the assessments you take and the 360s you take. I would build on what you're saying and, and say, you know, go back to something that you said previously, which is, you know, have conversations with people and just get to know people as people to, to build that 360 view of how am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Like coffee chats, right? Mm-hmm. Informal coffee chats, 15 minutes, maybe once, twice a week with with someone, just a check-in. It, you'll be surprised how off guard people will be sometimes when when you when you set those up. They're gonna expect maybe like an alternative agenda. But the thing is, you're just trying to get to know someone. You're talking about, you know, how was Little League for their kid? How, how was, you know, the barbecue that just happened last weekend? What what they do on their summer break? You're getting to know the individual. And by doing that, you establish that connection, that relationship. It's that social capital we talked about. You're, you will make those deposits. And then if you need help, that person is going to be there for you. Yeah. And, and that's the, the first chapter of my book is all about empathy and and building those deep genuine relationships with folks and and just making a ton of deposits into the bank so that then you can make the difficult asks you know and set goals and provide feedback and push for high performance but you're doing that from a place of understanding and knowing and I'm going to use a, a four letter word here maybe even love you know it's like mm-hmm. look I know you you know me I I have good motivations I want the best for you me us the organization so, you know, let's go, let's push. That's going to be so important for miscommunications also, because if you're talking about what is the most common way that we communicate at work, it's probably email, it's probably instant communication, text message. That is so difficult to take in tone, like how a people, how a person is actually feeling about something. If you don't know a person, you may assume that they are being a little bit more stern or or maybe they're being... They're not as open towards one of your ideas. But if you get to know who a person is, you can kind of build that that avatar of who that person is with all their communications and you feel more comfortable about communicating with them. Yeah. I mean, you know, personal story, I've, I've actually had relationships detonate because of bad um, Slack communications mm-hmm. where, where things have not been, have, have not gone well in Slack. And so when we finally did get on a Zoom call, the emotions were already so high that it, it just cratered. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but that's what, what can happen. I've, I've been at fault for that as well. I feel like the best way to deal with that sometimes when things become heated is just to jump on a call with someone or meet them in person, because chances are you're interpreting it in a way that they don't, they don't intend. So understanding that, understanding that those communication barriers are there. I think that's crucial for, you know, building whatever relationship you're going to establish. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. All right. You know, I, I, I'd like to go to my last question, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip one because it, it continues the thread that we've started here. And that is, what recommendations would you have for a new manager who's now managing a team where they're not an expert in the team's field? Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is one where it's, you might have to put your ego aside for a second. And that's, it, you know, when you get a new position, when you get into a new role, it is so easy, like we talked about earlier, to try and come in and get victories. But understanding that if you don't understand a field or you're not as competent in it, 
you need to lean on people that are. And we talk oftentimes about subject matter experts. And I, I hate it because one of the things that recruiters will always ask is tell me a difficult subject matter expert that you've dealt with. Tell me a time when you worked with a difficult SME. And that immediately sets us up defensively as thinking that most SMEs are going to be difficult. Well, that's not true. Like a lot of people I talk to, they discuss the idea of building those relationships with SMEs before even asking them for anything, getting to know who they are, getting to know like, what does their work schedule look like? When are they free? When, when do they like to have communications open? That's so important because you're respecting their time, you're respecting them as individuals. And oftentimes they're going to be your best resource. So when I jumped into this role, I didn't have a lot of experience with retail. And that was one of those things that I really had to lean on the team to understand what is the process back in the in the warehouse? What is the process for getting things onto the floor on the sales floor? What do the cashiers have to deal with? And it really did come down to listening to other people that have been in this field for years and decades. And then also going to these areas and visiting them and working there and 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 like working alongside people who are doing that job. I know that's not something everyone can do, but if you have that chance definitely take advantage of it. You're going to learn so much by getting your hands, you know, rolling up your sleeves and getting to work also. I think that's a fantastic idea. Getting getting in and doing the work that that the line employees are doing to really really understand and empathize. Okay, this is what you deal with. This is what it's like to be a cashier in a Goodwill store. Yeah, yeah, people will respect you more for that as well because if you're just like a corporate goon who's coming in when you need work, right? You got a clipboard and you're all like, ah, oh, tell me what the biggest issues are. What's the misinformation here? You're throwing around this jargon. No one's going to respect you. Mm-hmm. They need to understand why you're doing what you're doing. The learners need to understand the with them for themselves. And if you can come in and talk to them about that and actually try and learn from them, that's going to be very apparent. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to get so much buy-in from everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. That's a great idea. Get get in and, and roll up your sleeves. Fantastic advice. And offline, I, I, I'll tell you, I give a lot of stuff to Goodwill every month. I'm at Goodwill dropping stuff off. I would love a peek into what goes on in the warehouse. <laughs> so. I'd, I'd love to tell you all about it. Uh, all right. right now, I'm working on finalizing my first big project. Uh, so it's going to be for hangers and taggers in back in the warehouse before they bring articles, clothing, textiles out on the regular floor. And we're, we're very excited about it. We're doing this entire initiative for the next year on all retail focused stuff. Uh, so we're really excited about the shift that's happening with learning and development in Goodwill. Nice. That's cool. Well, let's transition now to, to a little more about you. And specifically, let's talk about your products and services. So do you have a product or a service you'd like to plug? Yeah, that'd be great. So Eric, you jumped onto my podcast also. It's probably up by now. Uh, it's called the L&D Hot Seat. So what we do is we interview leaders in the field of learning and development. We provide them with three challenging scenarios, and we work through that. So we put the person in the hot seat, see if they can take the heat. You definitely took the heat, so well done. And we try and develop solutions together. So it's a great way to Listen to a couple of nightmare stories and figure out your next solution if you come across something like that. And then on the side, uh, I'm developing a side business right now where I'm going to conferences, 
filming interviews with people, trying to develop some promotional materials for conferences. So that's one of the things that I'm kind of passionate about. And I've been very fortunate to establish some really great relationships with conferences and looking forward to building onto that. So if you're hosting something and you want some promotional materials made, reach out to me. Right on. And you're going to be at Learnapalooza in Seattle in October, right? I will. Yeah, both of us will be there. That'll be super exciting. I'll, I'll thrust the mic in your face too, and we'll get a good interview. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, good. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So, okay. Well, a couple of really valuable things from, from Russell. So watch out for those. And now we come to the lightning round. So this is where I ask you a few slightly personal questions. Nothing, nothing terribly deep. But this just gives the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. The first question is, if you could interview anyone, living or dead, anyone, who would it be and why? Oh, man. Um, It'd probably be Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) I'm just constantly impressed by what a madman on the guitar he is and uh, such an inspiration for me when I was a teenager. So that would be incredible. Yeah. he's. I mean, he played a guitar. Like, Didn't he play it upside down and backwards? Like he, uh, very often and a couple very crude ways of playing it too, that we probably won't mention on here, <laughs> but definitely had a, a, a great repertoire. And I love the story when he jumped on stage with cream and he played with them and uh, it got to the points where everyone was just kind of like, this is insane. Like they, they, they couldn't even like talk. They were just smoking their cigarette chain smoking out of the anxiety of, of just how incredible he was on stage. Yeah. Yeah, J- Jimi Hendrix is a fantastic guitar player. I love it. And Cream, I mean, that's just that was a super group. That was just amazing Seriously? as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm trying to remember the story. Like I, I read a little bit about Jimi Hendrix where he took a right-handed he was left-handed. He took a right-handed right-handed guitar, turned it around, and then strung it upside down, didn't he? Yeah, and that was one of the ways that he was able to play such incredible speed and and really introduce some new mechanics to to guitar playing. Mm-hmm. It, it was pretty pioneering, I would say. Yeah, I love the story of him getting thrown out of the army because any <laughs> any time nobody could find him, he would be you know in the barracks or someplace playing his guitar. Like that's all <laughs> he wanted to do was play the guitar. Such passion. <laughs> yeah. Next question: What is your favorite vacation spot and why? Oh, man. Uh, So my wife and I just went to Italy last year for our honeymoon, and we went to the Amalfi Coast. Uh, It is incredible. Like It is every calendar page, every postcard you would imagine from Italy. It's just picturesque. And then um, just being able to walk that up and down, you know, do the touristy thing, get a Vespa, drive around the coast. Super cool. A Vespa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right on. Definitely not safe driving there. I, I will no. say that. I, When I was in the UK, I was driving around. Crazy story. I, My wife had very understandably gotten a compact car. And when I showed up at the dealership, they were like, hey, do you want to upgrade to an SUV for 15 bucks more? And I'm all like, as you know, silly American, I'm like, of course, you know, I want an SUV. Got it. And then I quickly realized those roads were built for sheep herders, Mm -hmm. uh, not built for giant vehicles. Mm -mm. And most people will park on most streets on both sides. So you have even less room. I have never been more stressed out Mm -hmm. uh, driving in my life. I drove a minivan in Cork, Ireland for a while and, and went out into the country to go for a hike. And yeah, like I was the guy holding up traffic. 
Like I was the guy everybody was mad at because you know, I'm like, I'm on the wrong side of the road in a huge uh-huh. car and I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm going to get into an accident. So I had to keep pulling over and letting people pass. Cause I was like, <laughs> this is driving yeah. me nuts. When we finally got to our hotel, the people that were checking in behind us actually had totaled their car mm. and they were tourists also. And that also stressed me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever watch uh, Top Gear or the Grand Tour? Mm, I started watching the Grand Tour. Pretty oh, addictive. Hilarious. <laughs> so there's this one episode where the guys get huge 1970s American cars and then try to drive them around Europe. <laughs> and, and they drive them into the city, you know, the, the, the central business districts and the city centers of, of, of old cities. And they're like, mm, now we understand why these cars didn't take off. <laughs> they, just, they don't fit. You can't get them around corners. No way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. So the Vespa makes a lot more sense at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I had a motorcycle when I was in college for a few months and I realized I was just getting ready to fall off it. So I got rid of it. Just, <laughs> Smart. Good timing. <laughs> no, thank you. All right. Where would you most like to travel aside from Italy and the Amalfi Coast? Mm. <laughs> My wife and I are pretty big nerds, and I think we have both talked frequently about going to New Zealand and, and trying to live out our uh, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings kind of adventure. I don't know how close to the books or movies it would be. I can imagine that there's really no river Riverdale that exists, the the home of the elves. But I think that it would be a good adventure just to be able to walk around and, and try and find some places like Hobbiton. Who knows? My wife works with somebody who recently moved from the States to New Zealand. So if you want to hook up, let me know. Hey, okay. Yeah, there you go. You, you yeah, never yeah. know who knows someone else, you know? Uh, yeah. it, it's one of those things, the six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I've never been to New Zealand. I lived in Australia for a while, but that's very different. So mm. yeah, yeah, different place. A little bit more dangerous, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and my final lightning round question for you, what brings you the most joy in your life? Oh, man. I think it's family. Uh, I, I, I know that's probably a cliche one, but it's cliche for a reason. Uh, you, you got your tribe, you got people that you can rely on, and I like to call them my rock. Uh, I feel like every time I'm doing something, I always got an anchor to come back to, you know, a port to to set into, and it's uh, it's nice to be able to have that that you can always turn to whenever you need it. Yep, totally agree. I've got I've got kids, and I just I adore them. It's so much fun watching them grow up. So. <laughs> can relate much fun. So hey, I love you. it. I love it, Eric. I mean, I feel like we're two for two at this point. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> How can people find you? Yeah, so uh, I'm LinkedIn's really my only social media of choice. So that's a great way. Please reach out, connect, let me know you heard me on the podcast. And we can definitely talk shop if you want to or just get to know each other. And then I also lead weekly meetings for the GLDC. They're the Global Learning and Development Community. So on Thursdays, I lead what's called Project Club. We review and showcase different projects, and we talk about how the developers made them. And it's a great way to jump in and just see a lot of projects in learning and development. So if you're new or if you're a veteran, just come over. Wonderful people. We're not trying to sell anything. We're just trying to get together and learn. So both of those great places to connect with me. 
Amazing. And for somebody who is new to the field, I would say you're 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 checking all the boxes. The podcast, <laughs> the GLDC, there's good stuff there. So thanks, great. thanks. Yeah, it's a, it really is all about that community. So to be honest, like establish community, get out, network, build build those friendships because those are going to last. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks, Russell. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at gerardtrainingsolutions.com. 